You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone out there. Hello, everyone listening, everyone who believes strongly in protecting your family, the ones you love, and your home. Remember, your home is your castle. Welcome to the Home Defense Show. I'm your host, Skip Coriel. We've got a great show for you today, so don't go anywhere. To start out, well, we will just skip right to my uh, personal life, as always. What have I been doing? Oh, man. This week I have been busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. I tell you, I had a class this past Saturday, and up here in Michigan, it's still cold. It's middle of March, and we still have snow on the ground, which is disgusting in and of itself, but there's nothing I can do about it. We were out there this Saturday. We had 44 students on the range, and it was 18 degrees. Man, it was nasty. In a situation like that, you have to watch for not just safety violations, but also, (laughs) you know, hypothermia. You've got to worry. We had one guy closing in on 80 years old who had to go to his car and get warmed up for about an hour before he could come back and finish it out. So we keep a good eye on that when it's 18 degrees out. Fortunately, the wind wasn't blowing, so we were okay. Classes are up from last month, which is good. My wife likes that. But I like it, too, because I want to train as many of you folks as I can. What I'm really looking forward to is April, May, June, July, August, September, all the way through to next bow season, when I can train you folks with more advanced training. We have three levels of advanced classes, and I just love doing that. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Once you get down the basics and you... You know how to hit the broadside of a barn from the inside and you can safely draw a firearm. Then we start building those gunfighting skills. I've also been doing some remodeling. Today I just finished my five-year-old daughter's bedroom. Well, I finished the flooring. Put that oak flooring down and tomorrow I'll be putting up knotty pine walls for her make it look nice and pretty. And we'll probably throw a pink bed with lace in there, too. She'll like that. All right, well, let's head right on to the news now. What are we going to go for? We are going to... Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was gunfighting skills. I mean, that is where the rubber meets the road. When everything goes south, you tried to avoid, but you couldn't, and the fight came to you. You can't get away. You have to fight. I've always been fascinated by people who could go through a gunfight successfully, live to tell about it, and then actually taught about it later on. I love that. But here, I found an article in BearingArms.com. It's titled, Real World Gunfight Proves Fast is Fine, But Accuracy is Final. 
Catchy title. I like that. Good alliteration. A man in his 30s was ambushed in his vehicle last week by a man who not only got off the first shots, but who made the first hit. The victim of the attack rallied, however, drew his own firearm, and ended the threat on his life by being the better shooter. Hmm. Sounds good to me. A shooting victim exchanged gunfire with a suspect, killing him in North St. Louis Thursday night. Boy, you know, it's a lot of crap that goes on in St. Louis, isn't there? Wow, I don't like that because my oldest son and his family live in St. Louis suburbs. I told him not to move, but he did it anyways. The 37-year-old victim told police he was in his vehicle in 5700 block of Del Mar when the suspect later identified his 34-year-old Marcus Portis, approached him, and began yelling while showing a gun. Okay. After approaching the victim, Portis reportedly fired several gunshots, striking the victim. Then the victim got his own gun and returned fire, hitting the suspect. According to police, after the gunshots were fired, Portis ran from the area and eventually collapsed. Yeah, must have been out of shape. Portis was pronounced dead at the scene. Well, he's really out of shape now. The victim was taken to the hospital with a gunshot wound to the thigh and listed in stable condition. <laughs> wow. You know, and that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to talk about. You know, the... Uh, the, the the final line in this article is, Wyatt Earp had it right. Fast is fine, but accuracy is final. And, of course, he is right. I mean, who's going to argue with Wyatt Earp? I mean, aside from him being dead and all. But, yeah, fast is good. Accurate is good. The problem is, you got to do both. You have to be fast and accurate. And so we're going to talk about that more uh, later in the show. But right now, let's go ahead. Let's move on to some more articles here. Uh, let's see if we can stay with BearingArms.com. Oh, here's a good one. Oh, you folks will love this one. Concealed carrier shoots himself on movie theater toilet. <laughs> I just love this stuff. I mean, without Darwin Award recipients, life just wouldn't be as jocular and jovial. you got to have the lighthearted stuff here. Oh, Florida man, what have you done to yourself this time? <laughs> A 26-year-old Palm Harbor man was injured in an accidental shooting. <laughs> of course it was an accident. <laughs> Actually, it was a negligent discharge, I'm sure, but uh, I'm sure he didn't shoot himself on purpose. Uh, was injured in an accidental shooting at the Oldsmar AMC Movie Theater Friday afternoon. According to the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, deputies were called to the 3120 at Tampa Road Theater just before 2 p.m. March 10th. When they arrived, they learned that Nathan A. Schrag had accidentally shot himself while in the restroom. Deputies say Schrag went into the bathroom and put the gun from his concealed holster on the toilet paper dispenser. I've done that before, folks. I used to do it that way. but And it worked fine. You have to remember to actually, you know, once you do your business and, 
you know, get your pants up again, you have to reholster it. You don't want to leave it in the bathroom. Uh, you know, who thought going to bathroom was, was this difficult? Well, it's more complicated when you're carrying a gun. I heard a story one time of a chief of police who left his sitting on the back of a toilet tank. Um, someone else found it, and that didn't go very well. But I remember the last time I laid mine on the toilet paper dispenser, and it was one of those big industrial ones, nice flat top. It's like, hey, this is made for my uh, Smith & Wesson M&P full-frame 9mm, and it fit just great there. And so, you know, and I'd used this bathroom before, so I go ahead and I, you know, drop my drawers, I, I unholster, and I place it on top of the uh, toilet paper dispenser, and it immediately fell to the ground. Not the gun, the entire toilet paper dispenser just just ripped from the wall, I don't know why, and fell down on the ground, and my gun with it, it went over into the next stall, I had to reach underneath there, <laughs> crawl around, uh, you know, half naked to get my gun back. Fortunately, there was no one in the other stall. Uh, that's my story. Uh, if you repeat this on Facebook, I'll, I'll call you a liar. But uh, that's what happened. Uh, so I stopped doing that. Now I go ahead and I just I'll just leave it in the holster. I mean, it's heavy and it drops down on the ceramic tile, so I'll just lay it there. But I keep it inside the uh, retention holster. That way, there's no chance of me, you know, hitting that uh, the trigger. And it just it's safer that way. So that's how I do it now. All right, getting back to this story. Deputies say Schrag went into the bathroom and put the gun from his concealed holster on the toilet paper dispenser. Schrag attempted to place his, his firearm back into his holster when the firearm accidentally discharged, causing injury to his left hand. An email from the sheriff's office said, Schrag has a permit to carry a concealed weapon, the agency noticed. No one else was in the restroom when the gun went off, deputies say. Thank God for that. Wow. Yeah, the gun went off all by itself. It just, boom. Yeah, this was an Indian negligent discharge. His finger had to have been on the trigger, uh, and his hand had to have been in front of the muzzle. The muzzle is the dangerous end, folks. That's where the bullets come out of. Now, just uh, take a lesson. Anytime you're talking about firearms, you want to learn from other people's mistakes, without a doubt. We all have different methods, different techniques, different processes when we carry. Anytime you can read something like this and go, wow, that guy's really stupid. The thing is, that could be you on a bad day. So think about simple things like going to the bathroom. What do you do with your gun? And what I have found is that the less I handle my gun, the safer it is. Guns don't go off when they're in your holster. They go off when you take the gun out of the holster. So when I get in situations like that, man, I just uh, I keep it in the holster. Just keep it in the holster. You're better off, better to, to learn from this guy's mistake. Let someone else shoot them. You know what? Thank God um, he uh, only shot his hand. 
I guess it could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Boy, that I can't get that image out of my out of my mind. I better move on. One thing that I used to do, I carried a paddle holster. That was a, a time in my life when I was going in and out of a lot of pistol-free zones. I hate pistol-free zones, but that's another subject. And I had to take the gun, and I had to disarm myself quite a bit, you know, to go into the post office or the school or whatever and place it in my gun safe. I didn't like unholstering because that exposed the trigger guard. So in the, back in those days when I was going in and out of a lot of pistol-free zones, I would go ahead and just put on a paddle holster. That way I could keep it inside the retention holster, and I could take the entire holster off my belt and then lay the entire holster and the gun inside the gun safe. And that worked really well for me. Uh, You might want to try that if you're going in and out of a lot of pistol-free zones. Okay, well, folks, uh, that's about all the time we have in segment one. In segment two, we're going to be talking about speed versus accuracy. Which one is more important, if either? So stay with us. We will be back in just a few minutes talking about speed and accuracy in gunfighting. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show. We'll be right back with a discussion on speed versus accuracy in gunfighting. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel. This is Skip's wife, Sarah. Stay tuned for more as we discuss new ways to protect ourselves and our families. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, this is Skip Coriel. Welcome back to the Home Defense Show. We're going to be talking about speed versus precision, or some call call it speed versus accuracy. There's always that debate in personal defense circles. Uh, gun guys get together and they go, hey, what is more important, speed or precision? And, of course, my answer is yes. And that usually confuses my students. Uh, it's not a yes or no question, but actually... You can't really separate the two. Speed and precision. If you want to prevail in a gunfight, you have to have both speed and precision, speed and accuracy. Let's talk about speed first. Gunfighting is a skill set, and it is a matter of time. I'm reading this great book right now, 
It's called Jim Cirillo's Tales of the Stakeout Squad. It's written by Paul Kirshner. Jim Cirillo, he was on the New York Stakeout Squad. I think that was started in back in 1967, 1968 time frame. He was good friends with uh, Masad Ayub. And, boy, the guy was just an unusual person. He went out looking for trouble. The New York Police Department set up a stakeout unit where they would go to places, stores, that were robbed frequently. And they would have two-man teams, and they would set up in an ambush point. And Jim Cirillo was a very good shot, but he was also incredibly calm under fire and very patient. One of the things that they looked for in these stakeout units were people who liked to go hunting. And Jim Cirillo was a, was a deer hunter. And one of the good traits of a, a good deer hunter is patience. When I'm out deer hunting, I'm setting up there in that tree. I'm 15, 20 feet off the ground, and I try not to move. For Jim Cirillo, that just kind of came naturally. They say he sat there like a rock, just waiting for the moment of truth when all hell would break loose. And then he would spring into action. So it was hours upon hours of nothing. And then three to five seconds of gunfire and cordite and sounds and action. But when the gunfighting started, it was just a matter of seconds. Just three to five seconds is what it would be, and then it would all be over. And you were either dead or you were alive. The bad guys were dead or they were alive. But gunfighting is a matter of milliseconds. If you take too much time, you can die. If you're not fast enough, you could die. If you're squared off with a bad guy and he presses his trigger a tenth of a second before you press yours and he's a good shot, you're dead and he's alive. That's just the way that it is. So speed is very, very important because you've only got three seconds, three to five seconds to end this thing probably closer to three seconds, especially if you're talking about a single adversary. On the other hand, it doesn't matter how fast you miss. So you, you, you have to have accuracy in there as well. But it's not just speed between shots. I mean, any idiot can stand there and press the trigger as fast as he can, and he can get off a lot of shots in a very short amount of time. Really, the most important time frame is that startle response. You know, Dave Spaulding talks about startle response. You know, his article, What Really Happens in a Gunfight, is a must-read. If you haven't read that, just do a Google search, Dave Spaulding, What Really Happens in a Gunfight, and uh, that will serve you well. It's that first one to two seconds 
that will define and control the outcome of the gunfight. Are you even going to fight at all? That startle response is so important. Startle response is defined from the moment you perceive a deadly threat to the moment you act on the deadly threat. That's my definition of it anyways. And when Dave Spaulding did his studies, he was a cop. He retired as a police lieutenant after 20 years on the force. And during his time on the force, he interviewed approximately 200 survivors of gunfights. And he took uh, detailed notes, and when he got all done, he just studied the notes, analyzed them, and he asked this question, what helped these people survive the gunfight? And what he discovered was, is that they all had a very short startle response time. You know, you've heard of fight or flight. Most people don't fight. Most people don't flee. Their first response is to freeze. And freezing is what you do when you don't have a plan, when you don't have training. That's what most people do. But if you want to survive a firefight, you want to have a plan first. And that plan and the training that goes with it, when you couple a plan with training, then you can survive the gunfight. Uh, Again, you don't want to just survive. You want to prevail. You want to flourish. You can survive a gunfight and still end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. So you want the bad guy to go down, and you want to stay up. That's the goal. Now, what affected startle response? Well, one big thing was training. The more training, advanced training, uh, these gunfighters had, the shorter their startle response time. Many of them were competition shooters. Many of them were used to shooting under stress. They were desensitized, at least somewhat, to shooting while under stress, which is an important thing, and I incorporate that into my training as well. Uh, Jim Cirillo certainly was great at shooting under stress. Now, let's talk a little bit about the moral aspect of it. Because one of the problems people have is they haven't thought it out in advance. You have to decide in advance when you are willing to use deadly force and when you're not. That's a must. You have to do that. Because in the heat of a gunfight, it's just a few seconds long. You don't have time to make a moral decision there. And what I discover with my students is they they get really wrapped around the axle about this. So you need to decide ahead of time, can I shoot someone at all? And if you can't, um, buy yourself uh, some pepper gel or a taser because the gun is useless to you. Personally, intellectually, I don't have problems doing that. Well, that, that maybe sounds too flippant. Of course, I have problems with it, but I'd like to think that I won't have any hesitation. What I use is a technique called visualization, where I go over and over again in my mind. I imagine myself in a self-defense scenario. Guy comes in with a gun. I imagine it in my mind. Then I watch my response as it plays out. And after the shooting's all done, 
I replay it in my mind, I analyze it, and I say, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What should I do different next time? That technique of visualization is kind of like a flight simulator for personal offense. When you go over that in your mind, not just once or twice or a dozen times, but hundreds of times, it's the next best thing to being there. It's not as good as an actual gunfight, but it's better than nothing at all. It solidifies a plan in your mind. It may be a good plan, maybe a bad plan. You, you, you won't find out until you get in the gunfight. But you want to go into the gunfight with something. You want to go in there with a plan. You want to go in there with a lot of bullets down range. You want to go into the gunfight being desensitized to stress. Those things will shorten your startle response time. And that's where, you know, the first one or two seconds of the gunfight occurs. That startle. You know, oh, my gosh, what do I do? In a mugging, you want to know exactly what you're going to do ahead of time. That's one of the easiest scenarios to defend against. So you practice that scenario over and over and over again, hundreds of times. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then when it happens your body just responds to the training. And that's one of the things that Jim Cirillo um, talked about, especially his first gunfight. He remembered that vividly, and he said, I did things, and I didn't even realize that I was doing them until I thought about it after the fact. So training does matter. Training is paramount. When you get in a gunfight, you act on your training. I used to wonder in the Marine Corps, why do they make us do these same movements over and over and over and over again? Okay, I've got it. You know, I, I know how to clear a jam on my M16. But they do that because when you get in a firefight, the stress is so overwhelming. The adrenaline dump is so overwhelming that if you have to stop and think about it, you won't be able to because your mind reverts to that caveman-type uh, mentality. So you revert to your training, and if you've got no training, you just freeze up. You're, just, you're nothing but a puddle of blood, puke, and urine, and you're going to die. So that's why training is so important. Training, training under stress. Deciding ahead of time, when can I use deadly force? Get that out of your mind right now so that there's no hesitation. Because that hesitation is what will kill you. I want all of you to understand and believe in your heart of hearts that it is okay to kill another human being. Now, that taken out of context sounds bizarre and, and hostile and aggressive and cold and callous. But... When taken in context, it makes a lot of sense, and it's really the only way to think if you want to survive and flourish. It's okay to kill someone who's pointing a gun at your head. It's okay to kill someone who is raping your wife. It's okay to kill someone who is trying to hurt your children. In fact, I would go even further than that. It's more than okay. It's your duty. 
It is your duty. It is a point of honor. When someone tries to hurt you or someone that you love, you are honor-bound to protect them. And if that means using deadly force, then so be it. You do what you have to do. Okay, that's it for segment two. When we come back, we're going to be talking about precision. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more on the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel. My name is C.J. Coriel. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed, and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. Boy, we have had a lot of information in the first three segments. I've thrown a lot at you, especially segments two and three. Segment two, we talked about speed, upsides, downsides, the importance. Segment three, we talked about precision, accuracy, sighted fire, unsighted fire, all kinds of stuff. Um, now, what I'd like to do is I'd kind of like to just do a wrap-up. And I also want to talk about being deliberate. Now, what exactly do I mean by that? Deliberateness in a gunfight 
that's the trait that will give you the edge over everyone else. If you are deliberate in a gunfight, you will win that gunfight. The odds are in your favor at that point. I remember Patrick Swayze, uh, of all people, when I think about being deliberate. He did this miniseries called North and South, and his cousin Charles had had what they called a, a dalliance uh, with a, uh, a woman, and his relatives, the, the woman's relatives, were offended, and so they, they challenged Charles to a duel. And Charles didn't know much about firearms. He knew even less about dueling. And so he was out there practicing, trying to shoot a, a watermelon, and was not hitting anything. And Patrick Swayze, you know, Ori Main was his stage name. I love this. I love this miniseries. I watch it about every three months. And he watched Charles, and he says, No, no, you're rushing. You must be deliberate. What he means by that is you turn off your emotions. You, you don't think about, can I do this? You think, I can do this. And more than that, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot this other person right in the face. I'm going to put them down right now. Must not hesitate. You must pull up, aim, shoot, put the bad guy down. And that's what I mean by being deliberate. And that's something that Wyatt Earp talked about whenever he was asked about this. He would say, it's not the fastest person. It's not the most accurate shooter. It's the person who is deliberate. They've pre-decided that, yes, I am going to shoot this person. And that's why it's so important to have that technique of visualization to be practicing that, to have it all clear in your mind. You've already sorted through the morality of the topic. Yes, it is a point of honor. Yes, I will shoot anyone who tries to hurt myself or my family. That's important. You have to do that. Do not faint from that task. Don't back away from it. Uh, if not you, who? Who's going to protect your family? If you don't, are you going to rely on a stranger? I don't think that's a good plan. So get it straight in your own mind and in your own heart. Yes, I can shoot a bad guy to protect my family, the ones that I love, and my own life. Be deliberate. Deliberate. Really, you, you, have, three, you have three important topics in a gunfight. You have speed, you have accuracy, and you have the attitude of being deliberate. The three, when joined together, they are a cord that can't be broken. Three strands together are a strong cord that can't be broken. Combine those three, and you will have every conceivable edge in a gunfight. 
And again, I don't want to be in a gunfight. I want to be a shooting, and I'm the man who did the shooting. Don't think if I get in a gunfight. Think when I get in a gunfight. This is what I shall do. That's the way to think about it. Wow, we have been really heavy this week, haven't we? But you know what? If you're going to talk about killing people, (laughs) why sugarcoat it? I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? We are talking about drawing your firearm, putting a bullet in someone's brain, and killing them. It's very difficult to shoot someone in the brain without killing them, in fact. So if you're going to talk about it, don't pussyfoot around. Talk about it. Gunfighting is a skill set. Learning to be a good gunfighter is a lifestyle. And not everyone can do it. Most people don't want to do it. And maybe that's a good thing. I mean, I want to do it, but not because it's fun, because I don't want my family to die. I couldn't live with that. If there was something lacking in me, if I was tested and found lacking because I was too lazy or too squeamish to take another human life, I could not live with myself for the rest of my life. I mean, if I shoot a bad guy, he goes down, I got a, I got great legal protection, I go ahead and uh, go through that criminal justice system. If it still bothers me, and it probably would, that's what therapy is for. That's what my friends are for. That's what my minister is for. And, and that's what God is for. God can help me with that. And if I, if I need forgiveness, he'll give it to me. But if I'm found lacking, if I come up short and, and I have a gunfight instead of a shooting and I die, it's over. Or, God forbid, someone who I love is dead. That's even worse. All right. Hey, let's lighten up a little bit. I have got a lot of fun stuff that I'm going to be doing over the next month, month and a half. And I want to share this stuff with you right now. First off, I've started writing the fourth novel in the God Virus series called The Blind Man's Rage. I'm into that. And, boy, you guys are going to be surprised uh, by what happens in that. I'm having a good time with that. Second, we have the Second Amendment March coming up. That is going to be in Lansing, Michigan on April 26th. That's a Wednesday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We're going to meet right there on the Lansing State Capitol East Lawn. And this is a great opportunity to try out open carry. If you've never done that, you are afraid of the police or, you know, being judged by people. This is a a fun time to do that. Bring your favorite AR, um, your pistol, open carry it. Uh, But do it safely. There are guidelines on SecondAmendmentMarch.com or 2AMarch.com. You can go there and find out all the details there. But I will be speaking there because I am the founder of the Second Amendment March. Uh, You probably know about that. And I will also have a book signing. Uh, All my 11 books will be there, plus more from some of my other authors. Um, That's just a, a wonderful, fun time. You get to march Uh, go in and out of the state capitol while armed 
without stigma, um, without being hassled, and it's just a, a great time uh, for all of us, and you'll meet a lot of good friends. A lot of people just go back over and over again every single year. Typically, we'll have anywhere from 500 to 1,500 people that will show up there. So that'll be fun, April 26, 2017, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For details, go to secondamendmentmarch.com. Now, also, I have another event that I'm going to be going to. On March 21st, that's coming up here real fast. Uh, March 21st, 2017, from 7 to 9 p.m. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. I will be one of the keynote speakers at the Emergency Preparations for Man-Made and Natural Emergency Preparations for Man-Made and Natural Disasters Seminar. That's presented by the Ottawa County Patriots. Tuesday, March 21st, 2017, 7 to 9 p.m. That will be at the Howard Miller Community Center at 14 Church Street in Zeeland, Michigan. Um, my uh, my good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Denny Gillum, he will be speaking on different types of uh, disasters that could cause uh, the need for emergency preparedness like EMPs, pandemic, natural disasters, things like that. Uh, Mike Hewitt will also be speaking about uh, the practical preparation for uh, man-made disasters. And then yours truly, Skip Coriel, I will be talking about security in the event of societal collapse. You know, when all hell breaks loose, the crap hits the fan, how do you protect you and your family? Again, I'll have all 11 of my books there, along with other books as well. I'll be there to answer questions, just to, to meet and greet, along with a half-hour presentation on how to protect yourself and your family when society breaks down. Oh, and don't forget about my other radio show where I co-host Frontlines of Freedom. Frontlines of Freedom is the number one military talk show in the country. We're on 125 stations nationwide. You can podcast any of those at frontlinesoffreedom.com or any of the 125 stations across the nation. Spring is just around the corner. So I also want to talk about what's going to happen in the spring. Well, aside from planting my garden, we are going to be starting up our advanced courses we run those from April through September all the way up to opening day of bow season because that's when the good weather is. We found that it's dangerous to be running around in the snow and on the ice while shooting a handgun. In April, we will start our advanced classes. We have three different levels. We have level one, Beyond Basic CPL, and uh, you can get description of that on, our, on my website at mwtac.com. That's michaelwhiskeytangoalphacharlie.com, and just click on uh, class descriptions or in class schedule, and you can find out what those are all about and when they're at. Then we have level two, which is move, shoot, and live. Why we spend eight hours, about 300 rounds, just moving, shooting, moving, shooting, how to do that safely, tactically, and accurately. And then level three would be 
advanced handgun tactics. We do everything from moving and shooting, multiple assailants, uh, dueling one-on-one with airsoft pistols, to shooting out of a vehicle. So get all the advanced training that you can. Uh, We also have Rob Pincus coming at the end of May. You can go to icetraining.us and look for the Hastings class on May 26, 27, and 28. Excellent opportunity. Okay, we are out of time now, folks, but I want you to go out there, protect your family. And how do you do that? You do that by training. And when you train, you train for speed, accuracy, and being deliberate. Stay alert, stay alive. God bless you and your family. We will see you next week on the Home Defense Show for another hour of preparing you to protect yourself and your family. God bless. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with E-Verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. In the last segment, we spent a lot of time talking about speed. And, of course, speed is very, very important. But that's only half the picture. The other half, of course, is accuracy. Speed and accuracy together will allow you to flourish in that gunfight. The bottom line is you need accuracy. The problem is you need accuracy and you need it right now. You need to be fast and accurate. So let's talk about accuracy. There's always a question among gun guys. Which is superior, sighted fire or unsighted fire? And I always answer that question with the answer, yes. Again, they both have their time and place. Let's go over both of those methods of fire right now and just break them down, analyze them, and talk about the advantages and the disadvantages of both unsighted and sighted fire. To do that, I'm going to read from my book, Civilian Combat, the Concealed Carry Book. I'm on uh, page 135, chapter 9, Stopping the Threat. There's always a debate among some instructors as to which is superior, sighted or unsighted fire. The answer, of course, is yes. I like them both. Let's go over the advantages and limitations of both, and then we'll talk about the how-to. Number one, unsighted fire. This is sometimes called point shooting or instinctive shooting. This is based around eye-hand coordination and natural point of aim. When a baseball player throws a strike, he's not using sights. He burns a hole in the catcher's mitt with his eyes and then uses muscle memory to throw the ball as accurately as possible. The basic premise is his hand, arm, and shoulder work together to put the ball where his eyes are focused. And it works pretty good. 
after tens of thousands of repetitions. And, of course, natural talent in the form of good eye-hand coordination is a big help. Here are the upsides of unsighted fire. You are able to shoot at a faster rate of fire simply because you aren't taking the time to realign the sights after each recoil. When I point shoot, I can press the trigger as fast as I can and the shots go where I want them to, provided my eyes are focused on the exact center of the target. This comes in handy when someone is trying to kill you. It is easier to shoot with both eyes open without having to line up sights. Shooting with both eyes open is superior from a tactical standpoint because you have the ability to see the entire field of battle. It also aids in balance while moving and shooting. Try running with one eye closed. It's not easy. Also, most shootings occur in low-light conditions where it's often difficult to see your sights. With unsighted fire, you're not trying to see the sights. If you can see the outline and center mass of your assailant, then you can point and shoot effectively, provided you've put in the requisite practice time. Here are the downsides to unsighted fire. Unsighted fire is less accurate at longer distances. In my advanced classes, I have my student stand five feet from the target. He points and shoots. If he hits the target, then he backs up a step and tries again. He repeats this process of shooting and moving back until reaching his maximum effective range without sights. That is, when he stops hitting the paper plate, he stops moving back. Then he practices at that range until he masters it. Then he can move back another pace, thereby extending his maximum effective range. I have a few exceptional beginning students with a maximum effective range of 30 feet, but accuracy for most begins to degrade beyond 10 feet. When I practice my tactical shooting, I'm point shooting within 10 feet, and then I begin my transition to sights simply by moving the gun up in front of my eyes where they naturally acquire the sights. Potentially, the biggest downside to unsighted fire is this. Some people can't do it very well. Obviously, you can improve even if you aren't gifted with exceptional eye-hand ability, but let's face it, we are not all created equal. I consider myself to have average eye-hand coordination, but with practice, I can stay on the upper chest region beyond 20 feet at a high rate of accurate fire. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm more accurate beyond 20 feet with sights. In my experience, very few people are more accurate without sights at these longer distances. However, the vast majority of shooters can become accurate enough to hit the upper chest region while moving at least out to a distance of 10 feet. Now let's talk about sighted fire. When using sights, a beginner can get up and running in a single afternoon and be hitting the target with little to no experience, primarily because he has a reference point. He has the front sight, rear sight, sight alignment, and sight picture. With unsighted fire, it's more like flying by the seat of your pants. With sighted fire, you're flying with instruments. Here are the advantages of sighted fire. Sighted fire can be extremely accurate, especially at longer ranges. I like to use sighted fire when I'm safely behind cover. Cover allows me to slow down and take well-placed, aimed shots. Here are the limitations of sighted fire. Sight acquisition is difficult in low-light conditions. Sight acquisition is difficult while moving. And sight shooting has a slower rate of fire. The basics of sighted fire. And from there I go on and I talk about front sight, rear sight, sight alignment, sight picture, trigger press, all of that good stuff right there. But we're not going to go over all of that right now. Uh, if you want to learn that, hey, buy the book. It's on Amazon. Okay. That's the ups and downs of sighted fire versus unsighted fire. 
I highly recommend you are proficient at both because both of them have their applications. If you're in a mugging, it's going to be up close and personal. You're talking close quarters combat here. From three feet away, you're not going to acquire your sights. You can just step to the left, thrust that gun out into the upper chest region, and fire for effect. You will put them down. At that range, you can also easily make a headshot. One shot to the head, they go down immediately. That's one of my favorite drills to do out on the range, the typical mugging scenario. It is going to be at arm's length distance, so I'll reach out and I'll touch the paper target, and then I'll put my hands on my chest, and then when the timer goes off, I will cant myself to the side as I step to the left, and then I will be reaching back and drawing my firearm at the same moment. So I'm doing three motions at simultaneously. I'm canting my body to get out of the way of fire. I'm moving to the left to get out of the way of fire. I'm, they call that stepping off the line. And as I'm doing that, I'm clearing the clothing, drawing, and then I'll come up, thrust out the gun, point it at the head, bang, bang, and then as, I move, as I'm moving back uh, at a diagonal, I transition down to the upper chest region and continue uh, shooting out the magazine. Now, there's a chance on those first two shots, if I get a headshot, they'll go down. Three out of four headshots result in immediate incapacitation. So my goal is to have a short firefight. I don't want a gunfight. I want a shooting. A gunfight is when they're shooting back at you. I prefer to get that first shot off and put them down right away. That way, I'm not going to die. And that appeals to me. So I do that drill every time I go out on the range, and it works really well for me. And I believe I have it down as muscle memory so that even while I'm under stress, I should be able to do that. And sometimes I'll do that in front of my students just to add more stress because I'm an instructor. I'm supposed to know this stuff. If I can't do it in front of other people, then I've got no business teaching it. Okay, now let's talk about the first critical hit. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is critical hit as defined as any hit to a major organ or the central nervous system. Major organ being, you know, a lung, a heart. Central nervous system being the brain, obviously. Um, the vertebrae, preferably the, the upper spine. Um, that's all good stuff. Now, why is it important to get the first critical hit? Well, obviously, you don't want to get hit in the lung or the heart or the spine or the brain at all, right? So if you, when you score that first critical hit, statistically, you know, a couple of centuries of gunfighting has taught us that the person who scores the first critical hit usually wins the gunfight. Why is that? Well, 
because when you get hit, seriously hit, someone hits you in the lung, that causes tissue damage and blood loss. You have the beginning of a hydraulic stop there. As soon as you're hit, your ability to return fire effectively is degraded. Now, that doesn't mean you stop. You don't. You have to continue firing center of exposed mass until the threat stops. But you get hit in the lung, okay, your ability to attack is degraded. Then you get hit in the other lung, your ability to attack is degraded even more. Then you get hit in the uh, vena cava or the aorta, your ability to attack continues to degrade. On average, it takes three hits to the upper chest area to stop the threat. Now, in order to make those kinds of hits, you have to have accuracy. And again, you have to have accuracy, and you've got to have it right now. One method of training that I really like is called balance of speed and precision. And that's uh, something that I got from Rob Pincus from Ice Training. He has these great targets called balance of speed and precision. You can go on his website at icetraining.us and you can order these paper targets. And uh, actually there's a, a picture of them in my book, Civilian Combat. They're uh, a silhouette. But then on the outside edge, all around the perimeter, you've got circles, squares, triangles, uh, different colored uh, objects. And the whole idea is to add stress um, to to the shooting so that you're accurate under stress and that you can shoot accurately and quickly. The way it works is the person next to you will call out a target. He'll say, red triangle. And you come up and you put two shots into that red triangle. And then you'll say, square. Come up to two shots in that square. And then you could say, headshot. And make him, make him do that. And then you can just go back and forth, back and forth, calling out different targets, forcing them to shoot faster and faster, but while maintaining their accuracy. That's called balance of speed and precision. And that's really what it's all about. Okay, now we're about out of time in this segment. So, But what we're going to do is in segment four, we're going to wrap this all up. We are going to break it all down for you, give you the summary, and then I'm going to talk about some of the other things that I'm doing because I'm doing a lot of stuff right now outside uh, of this podcast. So I'm going to let you know about that. All right, this is Skip Coriel on the Home Defense Show. Don't go away. We will be right back. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. 
Peace Street ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, 